This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. All right, this week, uh, part two of our two-part look at every year-end number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, since the charts start back in 1958. So if you listened last week, we ran from 1958 to 1989. Woo! That was a long one. So uh, we also had special guest Bill Champlin on. He sang the number one song of 1989, Chicago's Look Away. Uh, this week, another special guest coming up who sang a number one song of the year. Uh, as we go from 1990 all the way to this year, uh, yeah, another trip through musical history, uh, a little more recent at this time. That's uh, what we're doing this week, part two. So uh, don't want to uh, miss what's going on in the charts this week, though. A lot of uh, action this week on the Hot 100. Let's start with number one. Once again, Ariana Grande, number one this week. That makes it five weeks at the top for the song Thank You Next. Uh, last week, we saw a huge jump for the song uh, with the arrival of its music video, which I, I almost don't need to recap it, but I guess I sh- basically will if you're one of the four people on earth who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. Well, you know, 90s was, was the thing for a while. Now we're actually firmly into the 2000s where... 2000s are like so old, I guess we can reference them in pop culture. We've got the video, which which uh, kind of combines and or parodies for 2000s films, Legally Blonde, Bring It On, Mean Girls, and 13 Going On 30. Do you have a favorite of those four? I don't know. I mean, it's, got, it's either between Bring It On or Mean Girls. It has to be. But, I mean, Mean Girls, I guess, Mean Girls are just iconic in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you, there's a you know, musical on Broadway, like right now, based on Mean Girls. Uh, that was the one that was getting all the attention when the lead up to the video was happening. Everyone was like, oh, it's, it's going to be about Mean Girls. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, you know, I mean, just all the catchphrases that are still in pop culture, the, the lifts that it gave to probably Rachel McAdams more than anybody else. But of course, I grew up in that time. So those were kind of required viewings. Now, Gary, at this point, was probably like, in his late 20s, early 30s, almost. Yeah. 
did you see any of these movies? Because it feels like this is not your demographic in the least. I saw Legally Blonde, and I'm pretty sure I saw 13 going on 30. I don't think I saw the other You've two. never seen Mean Girls? I don't think I have. Ah, damn. I'm not even saying it because like, I feel like you would like... It just feels like one of those movies that everyone... It's like you know, saying you haven't seen Lord of the Rings or something. It's like, damn, everybody's seen Lord of... Like, you know, have you not seen that? I haven't even seen Star Wars. I'm going to start with that. The original? Yeah. Gary, you were like... That that was literally your era. Yeah. All right, now, back to Ariana. Sorry, we shifted. We shifted from the music to the movies. We're going back to the music. And Ariana Grande, we saw, uh, as mentioned, how huge a streaming boost that was last week. The most streams ever in a week uh, for a song by a female artist. What goes up must come down. The streams came back down to earth a little bit this week but still enough to be number one on the streaming songs chart, still pulling over 50 million for the week. So even though it's not the 93 million that we saw last week, plenty of margin at the top of the streaming songs chart, which helps give her a healthy margin at number one on the Hot 100. So a number one on the Hot 100 for a fifth week, number one in streaming for a sixth week. I I feel like it's really uh, got a good chance to be number one going forward for a little bit here. Uh, uh, bounds into the top five on the radio songs chart from number 11. So airplay is still kicking in really nicely. So so uh, for some Ariana fans out there who may wonder, because yeah. kind of squashed him right before Thank You Next, we, we knew Breathing was like on its way through. Has Thank You Next kind of taken the air out of Breathing? Yeah, she actually has uh, two songs in the top five on the radio songs chart. Uh, Breathing, number three. That's still up 4% this week to 92 million in all format audience. Uh, Thank You Next is coming on strong, though. Feels like it's going to pass it uh, really soon. It's up to 78 million. It's up 36% this week. So uh, Breathing is still growing, but uh, Thank You Next is is up next. And as we've seen, uh, we talked about this in the podcast, that uh, Top 40 Radio specifically, uh, they're fine with uh, lots of Ariana. If that's what's working, uh, you can play a couple songs at once. But Ariana's got a new challenger coming up for that number one spot as Halsey's Without Me, the song you guys just heard, moves up from number three last week to number two. So slowly but steadily making its way up the chart. Without Me, of course, already Halsey's best showing on the chart as a solo artist. It, it kind of feels like another world when Closer was 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 the massive hit. But uh, yeah. Over two years ago, when, when the Chainsmokers Closer, which also features Halsey, was number one for 12 weeks. So she does have that number one to her credit, but trying to get back to that top spot again with Without Me. Now, as she knocks Travis Scott for number two, uh, Ariana and Halsey team up to give women control of the top two in lead roles for the first time since uh, well over a year ago, last September, when it was Cardi B and Taylor Swift who were at numbers one and two on the chart. Taylor Swift. Look What You Made Me Do, and Cardi B's Bodak Yellow, which was number two on its way eventually to number one. And just to show how rare that had become in itself, before last year, you have to go all the way back to 2014, Taylor Swift, the album before that, 1989, coming out, making a huge wave. And there was 15 weeks uh, in late 2014 where Taylor Swift was either number one or number two. And also in that span, you had either... Nicki Minaj with Anaconda or Megan Trainor, all about that bass. So the combination of those 
three songs gave women 15 weeks in the top two spots. But obviously with hip-hop becoming such a big factor in the game more and more ever since then, uh, becoming much harder for the women to get those top spots as frequently. Yeah, for as much uh, this year, we've been talking about Drake and other male acts. We're wrapping uh, 2018 with uh, women really at high point for the year. So talking about can Ariana be really big in 2019? Maybe maybe that's part of the trend for next year, too. Women uh, being back uh, up in the highest parts of the Hall 100. Yeah, and kind of nice that it's two women, you know, Ariana and Halsey, who are still on the up and up. It's not really somebody as established, I guess, as a Taylor Swift. Even in 2014, you know, Taylor was five albums in. We'd expected major things from her. She'd had number one hits before, but Ariana with her first number one here. Halsey's never been as high as number two by herself. So, uh, you know, just, just that much more impressive, I guess, going forward, that there are more women who are rising up to these ranks for the first time in their career. After number six, Mariah Carey with All I Want for Christmas Is You. It's another new peak. So uh, to recap the whole history, the song got released in 1994. Uh, partly due to chart rules, uh, wasn't on the Hot 100 for a long time until this decade. And then, uh, yeah, it's been uh, gaining every year. Finally hit the top 10 last year, got to number nine. So last week, a new peak, number seven, another new peak. Uh, this week, number six, so highest it's ever been on the Hot 100. And uh, not only that, we really dug into the research. This is the highest charting holiday hit on the Hot 100 in 60 years, which is almost as old as the Hot 100, 1958. So uh, there's only one other holiday song that's ever been as high as number six or higher on the Hot 100. It was this one back in 1958. All right, you chipmunks. Ready to sing your song? I'll say we are. Yeah, let's sing it now. Okay, Simon. Okay. Okay, Theodore. Okay. Okay, Alvin. Alvin. Alvin! Okay! Is that a uh, Anderson household favorite of the holidays over the years? Nope. No. Absolutely not. Uh, we were more this Christmas kind of vein, the Stevie Wonder, Jackson 5. That was that was the flavors going on down in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, so, uh, yeah, number one for four weeks, 1958-59 for the Chipmunks, David Seville. And then in the next 60 years, uh, still, uh, maybe next week, maybe All I Want for Christmas is You uh, can do it, but... Nothing's even been in the top five since. Uh, part of it is it was talking about chart rules for uh, about nine years, uh, 63 to 72. And then again in the 80s, uh, Billboard had rules where holiday songs wouldn't chart on the Hot 100. There was a separate Christmas chart. And that's where stuff like uh, Step Into Christmas, Elton John, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Bruce Springsteen, they were all huge hits uh, on a separate chart. So they didn't have a chance to get on the Hot 100. Uh, some exceptions. Do they know it's Christmas in uh, 1985 for Band Aid that got to number 13? But uh, for the most part, it's kind of a kind of a sketchy history for holiday songs on the Hot 100. But uh, still, not to take anything away from All I Want for Christmas Is You, uh, it's coming back every year now. Uh, huge streams, huge sales, huge airplays. The number one holiday hit in all those metrics, and yeah, the biggest holiday hit in 60 years. It. At some level, it's kind of surprising, but when you think about how big the song just feels every year at the holidays, it, of course it, it hits that milestone. 
So uh, the other uh, holiday song we should mention, because we closed last week's podcast with it, was uh, Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We thought it could uh, get to the top 10 on the Hot 100 this week. It gets closer, number 13. So uh, maybe another week. Well, yeah, there's still time before Christmas. So how great would that be? Andy Williams, the dark horse of 2018. All right. So that's uh, this week's uh, charts. Uh, Ariana Grande, Halsey, Mariah Carey, uh, lots of holiday stuff. So we'll keep uh, watching that. Uh, Let's go back to what we were doing last week here on the podcast. Going back in time, the number one year-end Hot 100 hit of every year. Uh, That's our main focus for these couple weeks. So last week, again, uh, we uh, covered 1958 to 1989. Let's continue on. Going to the 90s, all the way to this year. Let's pick things back up. 28 years ago, these were the top songs of the year on the Billboard Hot 100, 1990 to 1994. So our first set of number one hits each year from 1990 to 1994. We kick things off with the song Hold On by Wilson Phillips. And uh, if you don't know who Wilson Phillips is, they are really the second generation of some rock legends. Three members of the group, Carney Wilson and Wendy Wilson are two of them. They are both daughters of Brian Wilson, uh, who is, of course, iconic as a beach boy. Also joined by China Phillips, who is the daughter of John and Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. So sort of a got the 60s heyday for the parents, turns into a 90s heyday for their offspring. Uh, first hit for Wilson Phillips. First Hot 100 entry goes all the way to number one. And even though it's only number one for one week in 1990, its longevity helps it end up as the top song of that year. And it's a 
good omen for Wilson Phillips and a good start for their career. They'll quickly have two more number one hits on the Hot 100. Uh, the songs Release Me and You're in Love uh, by spring of 1991. So a nice period for them. And if you don't know Hold On because you weren't necessarily around in 1990 or paying attention to Wilson Phillips, it got a nice revival earlier this decade and the final scene of the film Bridesmaids. So, of course, I feel like everyone's seen Bridesmaids at some point, And actually, that is... That. That, that's I knew list. it. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. I tried to get through it, but I knew he was going to have to jump in. <sighs> Gary, your Netflix queue is just growing and growing. But, uh, yeah, actually, at the end of the film, that's actually the real-life Wilson Phillips performing the song. So, nice tie-in for them there. Some of us uh, are old enough to remember when Hold On was a hit originally. So, you... Don't know Star Wars, you don't know Mean Girls, but you know Hold On. I, I know music and TV better than I know movies. I guess that's, okay. that's the answer. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I love that song when it was out. A great first uh, album, it, co-written and produced by Glenn Ballard, who a few years later would go on uh, to have really even bigger success. Uh, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Uh, so uh, a few years ago, I actually caught up with Carney Wilson and all of Wilson Phillips. They were uh, promoting a new album, and uh, Carney talked about how much being number one on the Hot 100 always meant to her. It was crazy. We were touring all around the world, and people were throwing money at us, and we were hot and sexy, and we had it all oh, going on. That's really a frightening <laughs> answer. But no, that's um, it in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I have my okay, Billboard magazine pla- plaque, my laminated plaques on the wall mm-hmm. of Hold On, Release Me, and You're In Love, our number one records, and it's really cool to see that and walk by it every single day. Honestly, I walk by it every day, and I practically want to kiss it. Uh, and maybe we'll have another one of those up. That's very Wouldn't sweet. That'd be great. Yeah. It could happen. But the good news is, is that we just love singing together, and that's what matters. Wilson Phillips, yeah, number one for 1990. I love the tag. I, is, that, is that a radio thing that got beaten into you? If someone like steals this clip, they can at least add that on. So it's a little chart beat podcast. Write it down. Carney Wilson on the yeah that yeah okay. Dial it up. Okay. All right, swinging things into 1991. We've got the song "Everything I Do, I Do It for You" by Brian Adams, which uh, from his album "Waking Up the Neighbors," but also well known from being from the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack. The song seven weeks at number one in 1991. Probably more impressive if we go across the pond to the UK where the song was number one for a still record 16 weeks. So holding down that record all the way to this day. And I guess kind of funny that uh, for, I don't know, there's some internal chart humor for the chart fans out there. Longest running number ones, both in the US and the UK, 16 weeks. No song has been able to crack 17 weeks and so it's kind of funny that they they line up perfectly just like that. Not the same songs, of course, but kind of kind of kind of a weird thing I, I thought about when I when I was looking this up. Yeah. So uh, still a big deal in the U.S. though. Number one for seven weeks. That was the longest uh, in eight years since uh, the number one song we uh, talked about last week, 1983, for "Every Breath You Take" by the Police. So yeah, uh, nothing uh, for eight years had been that big. So not uh, 16 weeks, but uh, seven. And again, this is uh, before Nielsen uh, Music Data. Uh, started feeding the Hot 100, so we've seen uh, all these longer runs since then. But uh, just before that, for 1991, yeah, seven weeks, number one. That was a that was a really big deal. And speaking of songs that have had long runs at number one, we move into 1992, and that advent of Nielsen and music data is uh, pivotal for Boys to Men, End of the Road, which is from the film soundtrack to Boomerang. 
the Eddie Murphy vehicle. I'm not even going to ask Gary if he's seen this because I know he hasn't. I've heard of Eddie Murphy. But he's heard of it. But he's heard. That's as good as the guy. He's heard of Eddie Murphy. He's that guy who does party all the time, right? Um, that's it's that's a fact. That's a fact. More facts. Speaking of boys to men. Uh, so that song most famously at the time broke the Hot 100 record for the most weeks at number one. It had 13 weeks in the uh, summer and fall of 1992. That broke the 10-week record that Debbie Boone, You Light Up My Life, and Olivia Newton-John's physical both shared. So Boys to Men surpassing that with uh, some room to spare there. And really one of those songs that it feels like defines kind of what was going on in popular music at that time because you've got... You know, male R and B groups were, were were so plentiful at that moment. You had Boys to Men. You've still got New Edition. You've got the spinoffs like Belle Biv DeVoe. You've got Jodeci, and it shy. really is. Remember Shy? Shy yeah. is up there as well, yeah. and it really kind of becomes symbolic of a of a movement from in the late '80s. We'd seen a lot of of rock number ones. We'd seen uh, a heavy, heavy MTV pop presence. Even when you look at Wilson Phillips, Brian Adams before, kind of in that soft rock pop vein. Now R&B is becoming definitely more the, the trendy and taste-making genre. Boyz II Men really one of the biggest beneficiaries of that. And though End of the Road's Hot 100 record would only stand for about four months, and we'll talk very quickly about the song that beat that, uh, don't feel too bad for them because they got it back twice more, and we'll go into that uh, going a little forward. Talk about R&B starting to do really well uh, in the early 90s. Yeah, kind of a parallel. Uh, the number one album, 1992, was Rope in the Wind by Garth Brooks. So country was also uh, at a new high point as well. Again, part of that was uh, more accurate Nielsen data showing that, yeah, people really uh, did buy country uh, albums and music more than it was believed when there was reported playlists. So, yeah, R&B with a huge number one for 92 and a country with the number one album. Same thing. And speaking of Boys to Men and that Hot 100 record, it was a record that was first set about 15 years before Boys to Men took it. Their time with the record would barely last 15 weeks. Knocked out soon after by I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston, the first song to have 14 weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Poor boys. Um, you know, End of the Road finishes its run at number one. Two week break for the song How Do You Talk to an Angel by the Heights. And then. There comes Whitney, 14 weeks later. Don't discount the hers. Give plenty of time to the heights. It's the, a great song in between. What, back to the star of the show, Whitney. Uh, Here comes the monologue. <laughs> well, it only makes sense that, you know, 14 weeks of number one gets you the year in number one. Also, uh, finally kind of realigning the critical commercial taste. First time that the number one Hot 100 song of the year wins record of the year at the Grammys since Betty Davis' eyes way back in 1981. So... Kind of a break there that Whitney, of course, brings back where everyone can agree this is a marvelous, wonderful song. And this song, of course, accompanied the film soundtrack to The Bodyguard. So that's actually three years in a row that the top song of the year has been featured on a soundtrack with Robin Hood from Brian Adams in 91, Boomerang, Boys to Men in 92. And so with Whitney in 93, just really goes to show also uh, that time the the power and the importance that soundtracks really had in helping uh, develop artists' careers, new launch pads, and especially as artists were between albums, soundtracks gave them a nice landing place to promote new singles in with not really as much risk as an album would uh, would come with. <laughs> 
Well, The Bodyguard was the number one album of 1993. And it, I mean, it really was a Whitney album. It's not so much that she was between albums. This this really was her next album. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't know The Bodyguard, it's, it's, it's really a 12-track album, sort of side A. The first six songs are all Whitney Houston songs. Side B is... Uh, some cover, a couple covers, some instrumental themes, a few other songs, but yeah, I mean, obviously Whitney did most of the heavy lifting. I mean, nowadays, you know, it'd be a six-song kind of EP on its own, and Whitney got a lot of the accolades for it when it won Album of the Year at the Grammys. That was a Whitney Houston, you know, kind of project. So yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know it isn't ever a Whitney Houston studio album of sorts, but it sold you know zillions of copies because of really having some of Whitney's most you know, legendary hits. I will always love you. I have nothing. I'm every woman. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, massive there. I have seen The Bodyguard. Okay, that's good. It's it's it's, it's an okay movie. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I know you're a huge Whitney fan. I was wondering how much you can say that. Oh no, I mean it's you know it's Whitney playing a singer actress, so it's not really a stretch, I yeah. guess. But, uh, but sort of like you know, glitter. Is it fair to say it's kind of? It's better than glitter, eh. but it's better than glitter. But but I'm not gonna sit here and say it's um you know, funny girl or anything like that. Uh, funny also that we almost may not have gotten as massive a hit out of Whitney as we did because originally What Becomes of the Broken Hearted was supposed to be the song that they ended up using for The Bodyguard. Yeah. Actually had been used in the film Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah. Add that to your Netflix queue. A I few... know the song with Paul Young had a hit version. He wound up covering it a year before that. Yeah, so um, could have been Whitney's and would it have been as big a hit? Who knows? But funny when destiny kind of aligns like that and and gives you a massive hit that you really maybe never saw coming. Would she have done that as a ballad? It's kind of an up-tempo song. It feels like it. if it was up-tempo, it might not have had the same impact as a big ballad usually does. I mean, I imagine it would have to be. See, don't be mad at me for making this, this a thing. I imagine it would kind of have to be a ballad if only because... I imagine the scene that it sets is still the same scene. You know, it's at the end of the bodyguard and, you know, um, they're parting ways. So that's kind of, you know, where the broken hearted comes into it. And, you know, she runs down the plane and, you know, they have the embrace and the camera's swirling, swirling, swirling. Oh, it's so nice. You know, it's so the world is so good again. And then, of course, that's the last time they see each other. So that's when you could kind of overlay, you know, I'm not going to sing what becomes of the broken hearted, but. That you know, in terms of narrative, that yeah. kind that plays along very well into what that scene must have been. Maybe a ballad version would have uh, really transformed it, made it kind of a whole new song. I mean, and you know, I mean, you can kind of argue that that she did in a lot of ways. You know, this is the Dolly Parton country ballad, and she turned it really the new vocal arrangement into a just a tour de force vocal performance. I mean, you gotta you gotta have some lungs to sing that song. So, the magic of Whitney. Um, and worth noting, just with most people's signature songs, song almost got back to number one uh, very soon after Whitney died in 2012. The song actually was number seven for a week, um, just due to the partial week between when her death was announced and when the, tr- the chart tracking week ended. Number seven for a week, got to number three the week after. I know this is by far not the most important thing to worry about, you know, in, in the midst of all that. But as a Whitney fan, as a chart fan, you kind of wonder if, if you put those seven days together, the first seven days, maybe, just maybe, maybe she could have got a 15th week at number one. And how great would that have been to just to, just to clarify just, what we're talking about? You're, you're actually saying that if she'd passed away uh, at a different part of the tracking week, it could have got her to number one. That's your concern. I'm not saying it's my concern. I'm just saying it's it's a fact. 
And I think, but how nice would it like that would you know we yeah. we look back in the history in the archives and say, oh yes, like Whitney Houston got a week at number one. That's how important, influential, iconic this song was, and it's it's nice that we can you know remember that. If it got two weeks, would have been sixteen weeks total. Could have tied the record. If it would have got three weeks, yeah. yeah, we yeah we can play this game all day. Yeah. Oh, all right. really, one of the most enduring songs. Really, of the last forty years too. And you think about uh, Dolly Parton had a hit with it in the seventies, and then in the eighties, then Whitney in the nineties, two thousand twelve. Whitney brings it back again uh, after a passing. So yeah, just not gonna forty years. It's never really uh, left uh, the consciousness and, and, and the charts. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Dolly Parton for writing just. Yeah, really one of the longest lasting hits and, and best known hits of all time. This has been our Whitney Houston episode. Talk all right. A couple other songs, too. Yeah, so thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Oh, wait. Uh, 1994, we're going to move things up and a massive shift in tempo. We've had some some really, I don't want to say sleepers, but some, some heavy yeah. songs the past couple of years. We lighten things back up with The Sign by Ace of Bass. And that uh, really, maybe no one really knew at the time, but that's a good precursor to sort of the bop-pop invasion that is coming. Did you just claim that term? Bop-pop? Yeah. I'd never heard it. That's good. Uh, isn't that, you like it? Yeah, I like Okay, that. yes, yeah, yeah. So we got some bop-pop songs coming by the end of the 1990s uh, when the teen explosion in particular takes over not just America, but the entire world. And the sign, one of those songs again, right place, right time. Uh, there was The album was already out called happy nation out in sweden by ace of bass they were retooling it for their u.s release they had written the sign for their next album but arista said yo we need some more tracks to kind of bump this up they showed him the sign they said not only is that going to be on the album we're going to change the album to the sign and we're going to put that out and really to me one of those songs that as gary loves to say you know he is such a big proponent of having pop hooks and catchy hooks I was thinking, of course, everyone knows the hook of this song. You know, I saw the sign. It opened up my eyes. Do you know any lyrics in the verses? Can you, I mean, can you name one line of this song? You're not the one for me. Okay. You did better than I could. You did better than I could. Uh, To me, it's one of the things that, you know, it's it's like you could just play na-na-na-na-na nonsense for the entire verse. You don't even need verses. Yeah. And then once that hook hits, everybody stops, you know, everybody knows the sign. Literally opened up everybody's eyes and ears. It just kind of brings up the point. Why do you even have verses? I guess it's to make the chorus really explode. If you had nothing but the chorus, you wouldn't be able to compare it to it. I guess you kind of need the, the verses to kind of build back to the, the big moment when the hook comes in. Uh, we should get a musicologist. I'm sure they could probably explain that for sure. But uh, yeah, Ace of Bass from Sweden and uh, Max Martin would write all those big hits from Sweden as well. We Remember uh, earlier this year we had Per Gessel from Roxanne on? Yes. Swedish. And we asked why is uh, pop music uh, so synonymous with uh, Sweden? And he, he said uh, that was really interesting how uh, a lot of Swedish music, a uh, big tradition in the country is folk music, and that's based on melody. So they've kind of grown up with that and uh, used it in pop music. So uh, all goes back to folk. So we started with all this R&B. We... We end with folk for the early 90s. Uh, Don't worry, because this next section coming up, there's plenty of rhythm to go around. Let's jump into the latter half of the 90s. Here are the top Hot 100 songs of 1995 through the century's end, 1999.
alegría Macarena ¡Eh, Macarena! Macarena, Macarena, Macarena Que te gustan los veranos de Marbella Macarena, Macarena, Macarena Que te gusta la movida guerrillera And it seems to me You lived your life like a candle Never fading with the sunset when the rain set in And your footsteps will always fall here along England's greenest hills Your candles burned out long before Your legend ever Songs in the Billboard Hot 100 for 1995 through 1999. Uh, we started that back at 1995 with Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio featuring LV from the soundtrack to Dangerous Minds. Want to ask if I've seen that movie? I'm going to go ahead and take the no yeah. and keep moving. Yeah. Great hook on that song, courtesy of Stevie Wonder. So originally it was Pastime Paradise from his album Songs in the Key of Life, 1976. So here's how the original song was. Turned into Gangsta's Paradise for Coolio and LV. Uh, Coolio performed the song live at the 1995 Billboard Music Awards with LV and Stevie Wonder. So I got to be on stage for uh, the new version uh, almost 20 years later for uh, the song Having a Whole New Life. Uh, so there's no profanity in Gangsta's Paradise. The reason? Stevie Wonder wouldn't allow it. Uh, Coolio said in an interview that, uh, quote, I had a few vulgarities in the original and Stevie wasn't with that. So I changed it. Once he heard it, he thought it was incredible. Really goes to show uh, how much those artists respect their samples and want their work to be done. I know, uh, I think the Fugees were also saying around that same time they wanted to sample a James Brown song, and James Brown was almost not going to approve it because he was so tired of rappers taking a lot of his samples and, yeah. and twisting them upside down and making all these vulgarities out of it. And luckily the Fugees were able to convince James that it, you know they were kind of a different act and he approved it, but... Also with Stevie, with James, you know, some of those other artists, really, really protective of their work and, and how it's going to be presented to future generations. In uh, 1995, we got our first rap number one song of the year on the Hot 100. Yay, rap. All right, up to 1996 for Macarena, Bayside Boys mix for Los Del Rio, uh, 14 weeks at number one in 1996. So here's an interesting chart element. Uh, the two songs that have spent the most time at number one on the Hot 100 Neither has finished the year at number one. 
So two songs have the record uh, for 16 weeks at number one. So Mariah and Boys to Men with One Sweet Day. That was 16 weeks in 95, 96, and actually started with the first week of the 1996 chart year. So it, it had uh, every how, chance. How does that work, Gary? Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, kind of makes sense. Sometimes if you burn uh, that hut, you might burn out a little bit. So didn't have the longest run on the Hot 100. Once it fell, it, it started to fall. Uh, and for 1996, it was Macarena that just had uh, really had a double life on the Hot 100. It first uh, got to uh, number 45 from the original version in October 95. Hung around a little bit into January of 96, but then it was the remix. Bayside Boys that uh, made it a hit, really uh, a hit that it would become. Uh, came back in May onto the Hot 100 and went on to spend 14 weeks at number one on the Hot 100. So, yeah, 14 for 16. Uh, it was that long chart life that pushed it ahead of One Sweet Day for the year. Uh, the other time that happened, well, well, we'll get to it. It's coming up. Uh, the other song that spent 16 weeks at number one, that didn't finish the number one song of the year. Uh, 1997, so going from uh, just the goofy fun of Macarena to you know, one of the more serious uh, number ones. Uh, sad reason the song came to existence. Elton rewrote the song originally from 1974 in tribute to Princess Diana, who passed away in August 1997. Uh, chart-wise, a live version of the song had hit number six in the Hot 100 1988, so about a decade earlier. Uh, what I always find interesting about this is uh, this became Elton's biggest hit. It was 27 years into his chart career. So you know, 1970s, when he was first hitting uh, the top 10 of the Hot 100. This is 1997, almost three decades later. So remains a record holder as well. Debuted with 3.4 million copies sold, according to Nielsen Music. It's 3.4 million copies sold in its first week. Uh, only one other song has ever sold a million singles in a week. It was Adele's Hello a few years ago. And that was Downloads. So... Uh, this is 1997. You had to buy a cassette single or a CD single. You actually had to get up, go to the store. If you wanted the song, you really had to, to, to work for it. You just press a button on your phone. Uh, so also, uh, double-sided singles, not just Candle in the Wind. It was actually, the bigger radio hit was uh, the flip side. Something about the way you look tonight. Here's, here's a little piece of it. Great song, always kind of gets uh, shadowed because it was uh, on the single with Candle in the Wind, but uh, it was a 10-week number one on the AC chart. Uh, it was his 16th number one on the AC chart for Elton. Uh, gave him a record. Uh, the Carpenters have 15, so this was actually his record-breaking 16th number one. So, uh, yeah, for all the, the history of Candle in the Wind, uh, something about the way you look tonight. Really a uh, huge hit for Elton as well. Uh, 1998, Too Close, next uh, R&B boy band, kind of like how we were talking about Boys to Men earlier, some of those groups that came along. This was not quite different the same flavor, yeah. though. Different flavor. Uh, so uh, five weeks at number one in 1998. You might have thought The Boy's Mine by Brandy and Monica would be number one for 1998. That was uh, number one for 13 weeks. But uh, yeah, again, chart longevity for next. Uh, so I worked in Top 40 Radio uh, for three months. It was in the summer of 1998, stationed up in New Hampshire, WERZ. And uh, one of my memories of, of the entire three months that, that I was there is uh, I was in the studio when uh, Brian was the he was doing middays that day. He uh, he did a break. Uh, he introduced the song, and you know the beginning of the song. It's sort of uh, you know the guys in the band kind of you know, talking to a girl. It's kind of sultry, kind of sexy. So so he did uh, the intro. We kind of mimicked that whole sound. I don't think I've ever heard Gary say the word sexy for yeah. what it's worth. Yeah. So he kind of gets into it and, and really just plays up the whole vibe of the song. And then uh, right when he's done, uh, the hotline rings. It's the program director on the line saying, uh, hey, hey, Brian, do you need a cigarette after that? 
Not my usual story, is it? No, no, more of these, more of these. Yeah, so 1999. Uh, so we're talking before uh, Elton John had his biggest hit 27 years into his chart careers. Kind of the same thing here for Cher. So Cher Believe, number one for 1999. Uh, Cher's biggest hit was over 30 years into her career. So uh, yeah, Elton John, Cher, for, uh, for all these newer acts, these newer sounds, hip-hop that came along in the 90s, Elton John and Cher, two songs of the year, 97 and 99. Ghost show, never give up. I mean, at this point, we could be, we'll be at twenty thirty talking about Rihanna having the song of the year, and you know, Carly Rae Jepsen and people. You never know. I was gonna say like now that would be like Madonna or Mariah having the number one song of of two thousand eighteen, two thousand. Some ways, Mariah's kind of almost doing that uh, buzz wise with all I want for Christmas. You, 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 no stretch, 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 stretch. Yeah. So adaptation. That's what Cher did. She adapted uh, Cher on auto tune. So uh, it, this is really before auto-tune became uh, a thing on so many songs. Sheer kind of uh, brought that mainstream. So uh, talk about uh, coming back with a whole new sound. She just kind of hit it just ahead of the curve and uh, really worked, brought her into just a whole new era. All right, that takes us up to Y2K. Do you remember the Y2K panic? Mm, I remember something about it, but I don't remember freaking out that much. Yeah, well, working at a radio station, they were, they were labeling everything because they thought right at midnight on January 1st, uh, everything was going to blow up. And nothing happened. And nothing ha- See, y'all didn't believe in the computers. Y'all didn't believe, Cher. <laughs> Stickers quietly came off right after that. Uh, let's move on. 2000s. Here are the number one songs of the year on the Billboard Hot 100, 2000 to 2004. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Love your heart. I can feel you breathe. It's over me. And suddenly I'm melting into you. There's nothing left to prove. Baby, all we need is just to be.
me in the club. Bottle full of bug, look, mommy, I got the eggs. So we in the taking drugs. I mean, I having sex, I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug, if you're in the getting rough. You can find me in the club. Bottle full of bug, look, mommy, I got the eggs. So we in the taking drugs. I mean, I having sex, I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug, if you're in the getting rough. <laughs> to 2004 let's kick things off we are officially in the 21st century we are moving 2000 to 2004 let's kick things off with the first song you heard which was breathe by faith hill uh gary had mentioned uh, a while back in the top of the 90s uh 1992 top album rope in the wind by garth brooks really showing how country albums were being consumed in huge numbers by people. Took a little while for the country songs market to get to that same level of popularity across the board. 2000, a great hallmark for the genre as Breathe by Faith Hill ends as the year's top song. Interestingly enough, if you go through the Hot 100 archives week by week, you will never find Breathe at the top of the chart. One of those weird quirks where kind of to the point about Macarena and how longevity for a song over the course of the year, making it really a marathon more than a sprint, can end up having a non-number one on the week, end up as number one for the year. Now, it is a rare thing. This actually was the first time since 1965, which we talked about last week, and the song Wooly Bully, that a song that was never number one throughout the week, is number one for the year. And if you're wondering what could have kept Faith Hill from number one, well, Two songs that are probably more hallmarks of the era, Maria Maria by Carlos Santana and the product G&B, and Try Again by Aaliyah were the songs that kept Faith from number one. And Maria Maria came back last year with the hook or the guitar lick as Wild Thoughts. Very good, Gary. Yes, it did. I know my 2017 history. Uh, but also for Faith Hill, um, really yeah, kind of evidence of the country pop trend that a lot of people... Shania Twain in particular, Faith, um, a lot of the vanguard moving from sort of a pure country direction to elements of pop that help make it a little more accessible. And talking about some big country wins at the top of 2000, Lone Star's Amazed, actually the, the one country number one hit on the Hot 100 that year, was the first time that any country song had topped the Hot 100 since the early 1980s. Yeah. So you want to talk about a disconnect really between the pop audience and country kind of in a silo by itself. And it's really not until the late 90s and kind of peaking at the early 2000s that country is once again warmly embraced by a lot of these major pop audiences. Now, at the time that Faith Hill did it, it had been 35 years since a song that was not number one on any week was the number one song of the year. She, uh, I guess, is sort of a trendsetter because it happens the very next year, 2001. We're talking Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse, a song that was reportedly composed in just five minutes by the band singer, so yeah. funny how f- yeah five minutes to pay off for you know decades to come. That that that's a pretty good trade, I would have to say. Also, of course, talking one of the nice things about this whole countdown is you can really encapsulate what's happening in in certain pockets and certain moments of music history with so many of these songs. Faith Hill representing that that country pop trend, especially by women. We talked a lot of R and B back in the nineties, two thousand and one. Sort of these these male, sort of a little alt-influenced, 
a lot of pop influence in sort of these rock groups that 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 are ro- sort of rock at their core but have a lot of fringe elements to them. Lifehouse very much in that mold where it feels like at the same time as Matchbox 20, Three Doors Down, um, coming up soon you'll have The Fray, Maroon 5, a few others. That that feels like that was maybe an era, especially nowadays, when rock is is really struggling for sort of the same kind of commercial relevance for its new acts. You know, you, you forget that was definitely a pocket of like the early 2000s sound. Oh, yeah. Also interesting. Number one album of 2001. Uh, it wasn't new music. It was the Beatles one. It was their uh, collection of 20 uh, record Hot 100 number ones. Kind of interesting with uh, you think of this era, the early 2000s, the, the year before that, No Strings Attached by Sync had been number one. All the huge albums by uh, Sync, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears uh, in that era. It's the Beatles with all their 60s uh, into the 70s hits. Number one album of 2001. And if you're wondering what would have kept Hanging By A Moment out of the number one spot during the course of the year, the answer is uh, along the same lines as that Beatles throwback, another oldies track, Lady Marmalade. But of course, not the LaBelle's rendition, but the one by Christina Aguilera, Maya, Pink, and Lil' Kim for three weeks. That was number one while Hanging By A Moment was number two. And also uh, our friend Usher doing a, a week of damage there. You remind me was number one. Also denying Lifehouse that top spot. All right, so we got Beatles. We got Lifehouse. Uh, let's flip forward to another male rock group, 2002's number one champs, Nickelback. And the song is How You Remind Me. So, yes, before they became, I guess, I don't know the world's most hated band, which, yeah. which in a in a way sounds much more harsh than it is. But the internet is a very very weird place, and I still don't quite get how this exactly happened, how it was settled upon that Nickelback could be the butt of all jokes. But before they were that, they were on top of the world with the song "How You Remind Me," a number one hit in late two thousand one into two thousand and two. Um, Again, another case of huge longevity. The song debuts uh, right at the top of September 2001 and hangs on all the way till August 2002. So a real case of longevity and kind of hits kind of that sweet spot between, um, you know, this is before they kind of went in a really aggressive pop direction. So kind of got some of those early rock fans, of course, pop fans. I feel like it was playing in my middle school all the time. It was just just kind of one of those songs that kind of hit all radars it felt like i felt like even adults you know could get behind this yeah i was working in ac radio then i remember being a little surprised at first that it was researching well and then it was not only them it was, as we were saying before matchbox 20 all these bands that even even some of the harder singles uh yeah they, they worked and uh one of those bands that came out at that time with the pretty hard single uh, harder to breathe maroon five they went a little more pop after that uh nickelback kind of you know had to float that 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 rock pop sort of identity for, for a while, um, and really was the start of a huge decade for them. Of course, How You Remind Me it was their only number one on the chart, but they still got five more top tens all the way through 2008, and some of those songs, Someday, Photograph, uh, Far Away, Rockstar, really some of the big, long-lasting hits of the early and mid-2000s. All right, jump one year ahead to 2003, and yes, if you were in the New York underground scene, Yes, if you were a hardcore rap fan, you had heard of 50 Cent, very likely, through a lot of his mixtapes, a lot of his leaked work. If you really weren't, you know, diving into those cultures, you probably had no clue who he was until 2003. But then when he hit, he hit like an 
asteroid. And I still think, you know, one of the best ways to get your song, your name out there is to have that catchy phrase. And everybody in 2003 was saying, go shoddy, it's your birthday. When, especially when it was your actual birthday, but even when it wasn't your birthday, that was one of those phrases that just everybody knew if you didn't know. And if you didn't even know it was from in the club, you knew that phrase. That to me was like, that's marketing you can't even buy. And it just shows how big 2003 was for 50 Cent. Blew up with the album Get Rich or Die Trying and 2003's number one single in the club. Nine weeks at number one atop the chart. And just, I mean, one of those songs that was just right bumping, bumping track, great production, fun rhymes, good time, good energy, good vibe. All the right elements lined up and just made him the man. Number one album of the year, too. Yeah, that was the first time we had somebody have the number one song at album since 1994, so almost a decade earlier with Ace of Bass and The Sign, both the song and the album. And, of course, 50 Cent didn't stop with Just In The Club. 21 Questions, also a huge hit that year. A little different, showing a little bit more of a softer side, you know, romantic. So, um, really, you know, Curtis Jackson was 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 the man of 2003. And of course, 50 Cent didn't just stop with In The Club. Also massive that year, the song 21 Questions, another great call-out line. This would have been, a, you know, if Instagram was around, I love you like a fat kid loves cake. I remember that was that was this line that a lot of people gravitated toward. And you know you have to have a big year because in 2003, I mean, 50 Cent ending the year, top album, top song. That was the year Beyonce went solo as well. Yeah. This was the year Crazy in Love. This was the year Baby Boy. So both of those massive hits across the board. And for 50 Cent to outdo that just shows how big he was at that time. It's kind of weird that memes weren't really a thing back then. We're wasting the internet for that, that first decade or so. Yeah, I don't know who, who came up with really, you know, the first sort of what we'd recognize as a meme. But you kind of do wonder how we just sat around for about 10 years and didn't think to share share those kind of things. Well, speaking of club hits, 2004 gave us one of the all-time greats. And yeah, Usher featuring Little John and Ludacris. I remember back in seventh grade, there was there was a girl in my class. Her name was Katie. She was so upset with Usher because like how they turned yeah into like this huge hit phrase song. It was like, I guess she thought it was maybe like lazy or something or just kind of like, just kind of, you know, like, you know, I mean, so one of the things that back, you know, back in the day, like 80s and 70s, like a word like yeah would have never been like a hit song title. It just felt so pedestrian maybe because it wasn't yes no just because it's like yeah it's just like it's just like such a common word for it like every other song title is like a song title this is just yeah it's like saying i it's like saying where meh like i like katie's old soul that's good grammar yeah is a yeah is a bona fide classic because everybody knows what it's like to just be like yeah well it's really that instrumental riff isn't that what people think of when they think of this song yeah i mean the production of course handled by little john outstanding but everything every, i mean really every element usher's vocals Ludacris's guest verse and yes very much so the the crunk and beat production rap was really migrating to the south after spending so much of its time in the north and then in the west and in new york and la southern hip-hop was becoming the most inventive genre out there and little john was really at the forefront of that and actually you know we talked to little john uh, a few weeks ago talking about get low but we also spent some time talking about yeah and the way yeah came to be is believe it or not of course john knew it was going to be a hit but 
so many times. The executive's always a little unsure about it. So this is what Lil John actually had to do to prove to them that this song was a true smash. We knew that was a smash. <laughs> That's when there's so much, you know, as a producer, you, you go in the studio, you come out, some records you think are smash, they don't become a smash, timing is wrong, or something happens. That one, we knew that shit was a smash. We knew that part was gone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just one of those ones that, yeah, I just knew it. And it, it's crazy because they were initially trying to put out Burn first. Um, but I leaked, yeah, and radio stations went crazy and the phone lines lit up like crazy. The, the label sent a cease and desist out to get the record companies, I mean, to get the radio station to stop playing, yeah. And because they still wanted to put Burn out as the first single, but yeah, just got bigger and bigger and the radio stations basically said, fuck y'all, we're not going to stop playing this song. It's a smash. People are ringing the phones off the hook. And here we are, 14 years later, that record is still, it still comes on and feels like it's brand new. So the leak was coming inside the house. Lil John leaked it, played it in the clubs, and the rest we know is Hot 100 history. 12 weeks at number one. Of course, Lil John, Ludacris, huge stars from that song, really up their profiles, but Usher by far the big winner with his Confessions album coming out. So many records set at that time. He had four songs at number one that year, 28 weeks at number one in the calendar year, something that has only been outdone just recently this year by Drake and Me Burn, My Boo, Confessions Part 2, just still staples in the R&B and hip-hop catalog. I mean, yeah, was the song that really, you know, elevated Usher to, to a superstar status. All right, so that takes us halfway through the first decade of the 2000s. We are going to keep on going. We've got five more songs to wrap up, 2005 to 2009. And ding, 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 this will be the point of the show where we talk to one of these next five hit makers about having the number one Hot 100 song of the year. Who's it going to be? Stay tuned. Here we go. Don't you ever for a second get to thinking 
songs of the year for 2005 all the way through 2009 going back to 2005 is the song that maybe the most talked about song on this podcast we belong together by mariah so uh yeah uh, so i always say that quality wise mariah she didn't dip in the early 2000s it was just uh, the public that kind of turned on her a bit and really now that you see the justice for glitter campaign i feel a little vindicated about that see it wasn't just me but uh, you made the point too, Trevor, that uh, it's valid. She, she did update her sound a little bit on this song, a little bit more tied to uh, really the style of singing. It's that some of the staccato kind yeah. of vocal that that I hadn't really heard from her before. But funny that, you know, it's really her and Jermaine. So a tag team that had been big in the 90s, you know, it's, it's not necessarily new writers or, or new management coming through. It's, it's L.A. Reid. It's Jermaine. It's, you know, it's the OGs. So uh, 14 weeks at number one for We Belong Together. You really can't say enough how uh, she and Boys to Men just really have some of the biggest records in Hot 100 history. Uh, they're the only artists with both a 16-week number one and a 14-week number one each. So again, they shared one sweet day, 16 weeks at number one. But uh, Mariah, We Belong Together, 14 weeks. And uh, Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You, 1994 for uh, Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. So 14 weeks for that. And it was actually uh, End of the Road, which we heard back for 1992. That was uh, only 13 weeks at number one. So, uh, yeah, 16 weeks. That wasn't a number one song of the year, but 14 weeks where we belonged together for Mariah, 13 weeks for End of the Road. So even if uh, One Sweet Day wasn't the number one song of the year, each artist still uh, got that honor with uh, different songs. Uh, 2006, uh, Bad Day, Daniel Powder. This is uh, a time really when TV syncs uh, began to become a thing. And uh, number one for five weeks overall. What did it? Idol. American Idol was uh, pretty much the reason it became the, the goodbye song. So uh, I always felt it was a little po- tongue in cheek, a little too pointed. Yeah. You know, would you have wanted to hear that? If, yeah. If, the, if, if you were the one. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, I yes. This is an awful day. I just got cut off a national television show. Uh, but really, that's what made it uh, in, in front of so many people. This was actually Idol's highest rated season. They were averaging uh, 31 million viewers for the Tuesday performance. Uh, which uh, nothing gets 31 million on average. Uh, it's actually Roseanne was uh, last year the biggest TV show, averaged about 20 million. So, but a decade later, that's a huge drop off. But yeah, uh, 31 million people a week hearing a uh, bad day helped it uh, onto the Hot 100 and go all the way to number one. Uh, one person who never had to hear the song about himself, Taylor Hicks. He won Idol that year. I guess Catherine McPhee probably didn't. They, they didn't play it right when they announced yeah, could you, <laughs> the winner, right? Yeah, could you imagine? Like, yeah. and the winner is. And, uh, Taylor Hicks, yeah. he had it bad. Like, like, like the spotlight goes on Catherine McPhee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Taylor Hicks, the winner. Uh, not the biggest Taylor to come along in 2006. There was another. Y'all, y'all know, y'all know her. Yeah. So uh, as Idol uh, coming back again for its uh, second season on ABC after its uh, revival last year, March 3rd is the premiere finale. May 20th, 2019. Up to 2007 for Beyonce, Irreplaceable. Ten weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Beyonce's longest leading solo hit. Uh, second longest overall. Had 11 weeks at number one as part of Destiny's Child with Independent Women. Sensing a theme here. Independent Women, Irreplaceable. That single ladies. It's really, a Beyonce building her brand. 2008, hold that thought. We'll get right back to that. 2009, Black Eyed Peas for Boom Boom Pow. 
their year, one of the biggest years anyone's ever had on the Hot 100. Uh, still record, 26 consecutive weeks at number one. So it's 12 weeks for Boom Boom Pow, directly followed uh, for 14 weeks by I Got a Feeling. Uh, I Got a Feeling, longer run at number one, but it's Boom Boom Pow. It's number one for the year. I, I feel like I Got a Feeling is aged way better than Boom Boom Pow. Yeah, I mean, I Got a Feeling is one of those songs that just because of its lyrics of celebration and fun and, you know, we're going to have a good night. feels like it's really a staple for so many kind of events, graduations, weddings. I mean, just even just a weekend playlist kind of thing. It, it really has carried on. Boom Boom Pow, a little more very much Will I Am in his robotic, you know, sort of phase when, when, when in the post Daft Punk, when people were sort of sampling like the way Kanye was and it's OMG. And a lot of the dance hits coming through, very much a hallmark of that era. Lady Gaga as well, Poker Face, Just yeah. Dance. I got a feeling it's a lot more just kind of free and loose. I, I feel like I'm still surprised on some level that Boom Boom Pow was not, not even that big, but but any kind of a hit. It's so weird. I know it's catchy, but it, it's, just, it's so weird. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you look back like, but I don't know, people like that, that, that just that sound, that production is just like, it's just thumping. And, and I guess to your point, yeah, I mean, for it to be like the Black Eyed Peas first single back, so it wasn't like as if there was sort of momentum that was necessarily forcing this song to be a hit. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it just really fit along and really, yeah, you know, I don't want to say exploited in a bad way, but like I said, Poker Face had been number one, Just Dance, electronic sort of party yeah. songs, thumping songs. That was what people wanted to hear. But this wasn't so much a party song. It was kind of it's more kind of down tempo. It's it's well, but I mean thumping in terms of like like I mean or, or it's fun to dance to. Right. It's fun yeah. like you can just like you know like you could see like I, I feel like it's a good like dance floor kind of song. Uh, so back to two thousand eight, the number one song ten years ago. That's "Low" by Florida featuring T Pain. Uh, what a debut he had! Uh, ten weeks at number one uh, with that song blasted right in. Uh, Let's celebrate the 10-year anniversary. It's not 10 years since Lowe was number one for 10 weeks. In 2008, with the Sunshine State rapper himself, Flo Rida, he's our special guest this week. Uh, we're going to find out how this song came about, uh, whether he really was too aware of it being number one at the time. Uh, what do you think of hip-hop now? Obviously, rap has changed uh, just in, in that 10-year uh, period. Uh, let's find out all things from Flo Rida himself, our special guest this week, here on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. <laughs> Let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. Let it rain. Let me talk to him. Come on. Welcome, Flow Rider, into the Chart Beat Podcast. Uh, how you doing today, man? I'm excellent to you, my brother. All right, so um, we're looking at all the Hot 100 number ones, not just for the weeks, but all of the years, and you in particular, 2008, end of the year at number one, top song of the year with Low, with T-Pain. Um, so let's talk about that song, of course, in particular, really your breakthrough hit. How did that song come to be? Did you have the idea? How'd you meet T-Pain? How did it all come together? Oh, yeah, you know, being a big fan of T-Pain, you know, he definitely, you know, that was the year he was doing so many things. But, um, yeah, I was just working in the studio, you know, definitely a studio junkie. And that record in particular came in, you know, with the hook on it. And, you know, being a big fan, you know, homegrown in Miami, you know, of bass music, 
You know, it was one. It was really organic for me to like go in the studio. The first time I heard, I was like, "This record is going to be crazy," and I was the fastest I ever recorded a record. You know, I did it in like um, I say forty-five minutes to an hour. I was just late verse after verse, and you know, the guys in the studio were like, "Man, this 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 is amazing." So, um, you know, I, I actually took the record to a strip club for the first time. When I seen how the girls were reacting to it and how they wanted to embrace the record for themselves. You know, I just knew it would be, you know, a huge record. You know, um, I, I, I initially, like I said, you know, it being one of those record that's, records that had like, you know, uh, it was very bass driven. It was just really organic to what I love, you know, growing up in Miami. Do you remember uh, finding out the song went to number one on Billboard? Were you watching the charts? Did the label tell you? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I was, you know, what's, what's crazy is, you know, when everyone was telling me, your record is going number one and this, that, and the third is number one, I wasn't really, I was working in the studio so much, you know, you know, um, I wasn't even, I was definitely um, proud of the moment, you know, and everything like that, but I was working so much and I was so into, you know, just, you know, just recording and everything. I wasn't really paying attention to the charts like that. Now looking back, it's like, wow, you know, you know, um, you know, from the very start, you know, I've been blessed to have top charts um, charting records and um, I, I, I'm like wow now you know it's like wow because yeah. I, in the moment it was just like you know my passion and love for just being in the studio recording you must have been really busy because that was number one for 10 weeks so that's <laughs> uh, two and a half months yeah. you, you didn't even look up uh, you know I, I think it's the fact that you know my team they knew what time it was but they just wanted me to stay focused you know so many people can have that huge first hit, but then, uh, you know, there's no pressure on that first one. Uh, no one no one knows it's going to happen, but then uh, suddenly you're number one for that long. Well, now people are, are looking for the follow-up. So did you feel pressure to follow up low? And I know there were some other singles, but then uh, next year, uh, Right Round comes along, another huge number one hit. So did you feel any pressure after low? I think it's the, you know, the work ethic within yourself and having the team around you. Like I said, you know, in the moment that the record went number one, my focus was just being in the studio. So when it came down for people, you know, saying, um, you know, um, let's see if he's going to be a one-hit wonder and things like that, I was just so, it was so organic for me to work. I didn't feel any pressure at all, honestly. I was I was just working, and um, I think that's when, you know, all of the, you know, your passion, your drive, your motivation, and your creativity, you know, takes you to the next level because, you know, immediately when, when it was time to make a new record, I, you know, did some other than just my A and R. I went out on my own and and found the Elevator record, you know. And um, my CEO having a great relationship with Timberland, you know. It, it came about, you know, just with a phone call, you know, to him coming through the production on what I had written and everything like that. So I didn't feel like the pressure at all, you know. Everything was just a, a great roller coaster ride. So you did at least get some time it's at some point to celebrate, right? You, you couldn't have been working. All the I time. I mean, we, we definitely celebrated. We definitely celebrated. But man, prior to you know having that record low, I I, I spent tremendous hours in the studio. I would wake up, fall asleep in the studio, even though I had my own. You know, I would never even go home. I just live in the studio. You know, so um, I think that that's definitely um, the reason why I really never felt no pressure. Yeah, a lot of artists say that uh, in the studio is where they feel most like themselves. It's just the one place that feels uh, just so much like home. Is is that, it sounds like maybe that's uh, the case with you? Yes, most definitely. You know, um, 
I, 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 prior to coming down to Miami working in the studio, I lived in L.A. in the studio for about like five years. Never, never came home for Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, none of that stuff. Even though I'm very close to my family, I'm the only boy. I have seven sisters, and you know, you know how that go. You know, they're very <laughs> overprotective, but you know, um, you know how you practice is how you play. So when it came game time, and I had these records, you know, already with preparing for this, so. You know, I think that's why I had a, a great outcome. But yeah, definitely celebrate it. And were you able to, you know, obviously the song was number one for 10 weeks in that time, but when it was number one for the whole year, how did you find out about that? And what what's that like, not only to have that big hit, you know, for one period of time, but to know that for the whole year, your song was the top one? Well, you know, big being a big fan of, you know, other artists who paved the way and, you know, seeing the things that they've done when it came, you know, a year's time that the record was, doing numbers like that of course you know my my immediate um independent crew you know re, you know who definitely kept me motivated and, and remind me of what you know a great job you know i was doing as well as you know my the, my major record company atlantic records you know everybody definitely embraced me and um showed me a lot of love you know and um i was just like you know with this with this platform i wanted to keep it going so i just made sure I, you know, the same thing I did prior to having the success, I will continue to do that. And I guess that's why, you know, I continue to, you know, be a household name. Yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize, uh, just sort of think, you know, it's it, it's talent or you know, how people have longer careers than other people. And I think maybe sometimes it gets overlooked. It It is that work ethic. Uh, it takes it takes a lot of work to be uh, consistently having hits over, over a long time. Right. You know, at the same time, I think, what gives you that longevity is the fact it's your passion, it's your love, it's something that makes you smile, it's something that brings you joy. And, you know, that's what music does for me. Right. You know, it's, it's getting the chance to, you know, um, bring out that inner me, you know, to, to see it actually go from a thought to something that the world can enjoy is, is just, like, priceless. And I think one thing that really helps the relatability of a lot of your music is uh, there's a lot of prominent samples and, and influences from other records. Uh, right Round, taking a cue from You Spin Me Right Round Like a Record, you've got Good Thing sampling, uh, Edit James, Something's Got a Hold on Me. So, you know, how do those kind of creations come about? Is it just you and a few people picking these samples? Or, or what makes you realize, I guess, like, hey, you know, we could update this, turn it on its head a little bit, and make this a new hit for a new generation? Well, it's definitely having a, you know, every great boxer has a, you know, a great coach, you know, and definitely, um, shout out to Mike Karen, my A&R, you know, he's seen it in me as well as, you know, um, my manager, Freezy. And, you know, like I said, prior to me, you know, doing these records, I fished around with doing these records, doing, you know, records that people wouldn't particularly think I would do when I was in a group before, you know, so, um. I just I just love venturing out, you know, doing doing things that, you know, um, would set me aside from others, but at the same time people would understand. So doing records like Right Round and doing the Good Feeling record, you know, those are records that you know I might have heard prior, and to know that I will be doing a collaboration with these artists just definitely you know 
made me excited, you know, and then to see the outcome of these records, you know, and and it's one thing for them to say, oh, this record is amazing. It was my, my thoughts as well, like, yo, this is hot, you know, and, and every time that we all agreed on something, fully, we, we've seen the success. Piano in the Dark by Brenda Russell. You turn into I Cry. How'd that come about? Well, you know, just sitting in the studio and just listening to um, records that, you know, were going to be potentially um, records for my album. And this record stood out. And I thought, like, you know, a lot of times I'm doing party records and things like that. But this record was up-tempo and, you know, had a, um, a still had the BPMs of a party record. But I thought, you know, I, I'll be able to put some substance. And a lot of the things that I went through um, prior to having the success, I wanted to let my fans know all about that in this record. And Brenda Russell has a lot of fans, aside from me doing the record. But I knew if I gave the the, the right lyrical pattern and as well as some wild factors and things that went on in my life, that this would be a successful record but you know there was a you know in that record you know i talked about my sister one of my sisters passing away i talked about things happening in the world that made me cry you know um a lot of you know emotional things and i think that's why the fans were able to embrace that record you know not just nationally but like um internationally because because of the subject matter yeah the more we talk it just sounds like uh the you we hear in your songs, this is really coming from from deep in, in your soul. This isn't this isn't a, a job at all to you. This is this is really who you are in your music. Most definitely, most definitely, you know. And I, I really, I, each and every day, man, I, I I live music. You know, I, I'm down here in Miami. I have a just about an entire block of the studio. I have like five studios of my own aside from where I go and record with other people. I have my own studio. You know. Um, studios, you know, and I just renovated it. It's like very much my passion. The current state of rap, it feels like it's changed in, in uh, the last year or so. It, uh, it feels like it's it, changed? It, it definitely has. <laughs> what do you think of rap now? Man, I love I love the state of um, hip-hop right now. You know, everyone is just bringing out their, their it's like art, you know? Um, they're being very creative, you know, um, there's you, you never know who's going to be the next guy or girl. Um, you know, after after me having 10 years in the game, you know, I know what it takes to, to be on top. And, you know, I see some of the same attributes and some of the artists that, you know, um, are doing their thing. Um, but um, I, I love this, the state of hip-hop right now because it's like people are just breaking barriers. They're doing things independently that has never been done before, you know, um, of course, you know, um, I'm one of the guys where who was big in the digital and now, you know, it's a lot of streaming and things right now, but you know, I, I love it, man. It's it's fun, man. It's you know, people who 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 you least expect are popping up with hit records and uh, you know I I commend it, man, because, you know, as as far as myself, I always wanna see people, you know, do the unimaginable. One other thing I got to bring up, and I guess I have to admit, uh, I'm a Boston Celtics fan, but uh, I was looking uh, on your social media. I'm pretty sure I saw you next to Magic Johnson in Miami recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. 
No, I was one of the guys, you know, I definitely, um, I look up to Magic, man. You know, my first love was basketball prior to doing music. So, you know, he's one of those legends. So to be sitting next to him at the game, you know, getting a chance to take a picture. I, I, you know, I was I was like, man, I want to take this picture, but I don't want to look, you know, but I, for Magic Johnson, I was like, man, I'll, I'll ask, get that. But yeah, he's a great guy. So you're living all the uh, well. LeBron was there, the Miami Heat championship years. That was uh, a dream come true as a, as a Miami sports fan for you. Oh yes, man. I, you know, definitely, man. I had to go and get my own ring. You know, just because being born, if you're born and raised in Miami, man, whether we winning or losing, you 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 go for the teams. You know, whether it's the Dolphins, the Marlins, the College, you know, UM and everything like that. You know, I'm I'm always rooting for all the Miami teams. So when we won the championship, man. That was like over the top, yeah. you know, and just being a huge basketball fan. I, you know, I went and bought, uh, courtside tickets, you know, for the season tickets, you know, courtside. Yeah. I really set myself up with that, uh, Patriots Dolphins <laughs> game recently. Yeah. I, Yo, I walked right that into that lateral one, was crazy. Man, that right there. I wish I could have made it to that game. I was out of town, you know, with my mom celebrating her birthday, but man, that was phenomenal. That was insane. Yeah, I'm glad somebody enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, new album. It's been it's been what since 2012 that you've actually put out a, a full length album. We've heard uh, new music coming at the beginning of the year. Is that is that still the plan? Yes, man. You know, so right now I'm in the studio cooking up um, from here to LA and different places. I've been recording. You know, as far as you know, um, a title for the album, I haven't come up with it yet. But you know, I'm definitely super excited. You know, as far as collaborations, you know, um, I haven't. Um, well, I got a chance, you know, to as far as prior to putting out this album, you know, I got a chance to work with Maluma. Recently, I was big, you know, with the Ola record, you know, and going to Columbia, shooting the video and everything. That was amazing. But, um, you know, right now I'm in the studio working with different producers, and I look forward to this being, a, you know, um, a gift to my fans once again, man. You know, get a chance to see the, the enemy. Definitely going to have some of those party records. But definitely, you know, I want to have a, a couple of cries on there. Because, I mean, like, it's been 10 years, so um, I like to do something that's special to myself as well as for the fans. All right, Flo Rida, thank you so much. Congratulations on all your success and what's uh, coming up next for you. All right, thank you, my brother. God bless you all. Yo, you too, man. Take it easy. Okay, for sure. Global Sharpie Podcast. Florida, Miami sports fan. That's okay. Still seem like a nice guy. R- really, it hit me the more we talked. It. What a hardworking guy he is, and uh, all these artists who have this kind of success. It's it's not by accident. They they work at it. Yeah, I think it's easy for us to take for granted, especially now in this era where it feels like with with SoundCloud and the internet, everybody can just sort of pop up out of nowhere and. It's like you can decide to be a rapper one day and, you know, a week later your mixtape is out on SoundCloud. And I don't think people realize how much work really has to go behind the scenes for all these years and not just working on your talent, but making the right relationships, you know, getting manager, promoter, finding people to 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 carry on your sound. I mean, especially with rap, so much of it is about your own flow and your own delivery style. And I don't think people, you know, it really seems like, yeah, when these people blow out with their first singles, it feels like they just, you know, a month ago decided to quit their job and start rapping and it feels like it's paying off but this is yeah yeah i mean just a consistent consistent grind yeah even uh, not that long ago my house uh, showed a more melodic side of him so he's he's really had a, a 
ton of hits and uh yeah it sounds like he's got more music on the way so uh yeah really nice to hear from florida it was great for him to uh take a few moments to uh, chat with us here on the billboard sharpie podcast we're up to this decade now these are all the number one songs of this decade let's start with 2010 go through 2014 stretch stay with us we are up to 2010 we got the song tiktok by kesha and it kind of feels in the vein of like sort of lady gaga popping up the year before really just out of nowhere taking over 2009 it felt like kesha kind of had the same kind of run in 2010 tiktok uh actually came out at the end of 2009 and some people may have actually heard her a little earlier in 2009, uh, you, probably our first introduction really was on the hook of Right Round right. by Flo Rida, yeah. which was a number one hit back in 2009 due to some some always fun contractual obligations. Kesha was actually not credited on the song, but it's okay because she got her number one very soon after, a longer number one as well with nine weeks at number one for TikTok, uh, which goes on to be the number one song in 2010. Starts off a, a huge year for her. Three more top tens off her debut album. Uh, we've got the song Blah 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 with 303, which if you hated the term, yeah, Gary, I can only imagine what you thought of Blah Blah Blah. We need to get Katie on the phone. What does she think of that? <laughs> yeah, don't think she warmed up to that one probably. Uh, also, Your Love Is My Drug and Take It Off, also some top ten hits. So a great start for Kesha. By the end of the year, she'll have another number one and We Are Who We Are. And... And We Are Who We Are, one of the first, kind of one of those those pro-pop songs that we're going to hear that, that's very positive about loving who you are and, and what you're like and not you know really caring what others say about you. 
soon, you know, Firework by Katy Perry, all about that bass, kind of in that same vein. So one of the early precursors of that 2010s pop tradition. And Kesha, uh, of course, you know, in recent years, really a lot of her music has been sort of the secondary focus behind her, her huge legal battle against Dr. Luke. And finally, actually, after so many years of not being able to record and having to be tied up in all those lawsuits, made a great comeback in 2017 with the song Praying and her her uh, new album Rainbow uh, up for a couple of Grammy Awards as well. And I think, um, you know, Kesha really, obviously, I, I don't think it's a role she wanted to play or, or would have ever imagined that she would be in, but um, a lot of respect from from not just, you know, from fans, of course, but from industry insiders, from watchers, really about um, her taking on this this role as being an advocate for so many people who, you know, you hear the stories all the time, and whether it's after the fact in documentaries of just sort of how, you know, just how gross in a lot of ways the music industry can be, and I think just full props to her for, for taking that back, and really, you know, glad to see that she's back on the musical foot, able to record, able to release, able to tour, and uh, getting her career back as well. Yeah, and that uh, performance of the Grammys that she uh, did praying, it just feels like one of the most emotional, real moments you, you'll ever see. Yeah, definitely one of the, the best highlights of the show, and I'm sure in years to come that'll be really singled out as one of the top Grammy moments, really, of all time. I guess I'm kind of glad you actually mentioned Grammys because uh, this next artist has a Grammy collection to rival anybody's out there. We're talking Adele. 2011 is the year. Rolling in the Deep is the number one single and although I think people knew Adele, they knew the name, they kind of knew maybe a little bit about her beforehand with 19, Chasing Pavements, 2011. And I think in a lot of ways for the sound, for the, the vocals, I I don't think anybody could have expected Adele would be just what she has become. Because no, in a way, it's right. not, I mean, it's like singing kind of went out of style. But yeah, Rolling in the Deep, an interesting journey because it seemed like the people who knew Adele rallied around her quickly the album 21 which Rolling in the Deep is on uh debuted in March uh debuted in the first quarter of 2011 debuted actually at number one on the Billboard 200 so the Adele stands they were out there they were ready for it it took Rolling in the Deep a while to catch on at pop radio it wasn't instant at all the song actually did not hit number one on the hot 100 until may so there's a there's a significant gap of of months between the album getting to number one and the song becoming number one but it felt like when it hit it was just this this tidal wave and explosion that just carried on all throughout really still to this day yeah Uh, the the quality of it obviously but it it also stood out because they were saying it was an era of of edm and uh, uh, lady gaga Katy perry's a lot of really uh polished pop this this was a little grittier and again had that that huge hook. Yeah, I mean, of course, the massive hook that we all you know are trying to blow our lungs out singing, and the accolades on accolades that this song got: record of the year at the Grammys, song of the year at the Grammys, uh, the album twenty one completing the trifecta with album of the year, and someone like you, you know, soon after becoming a number one hit, a piano vocal ballad. You want to talk about ruling the deep standing out? Someone like you completely an outlier in this field i spent an entire weekend i remember 2011 researching and confirmed it was the first piano and vocal nothing else number Ooh, one ever gary was blowing up this is before spotify i guess spotify had just come out maybe that year but i know gary didn't have it so he was i mean what were you digging up the 45s yeah, at youtube yeah, or, yeah, YouTube. yeah. yeah. Ooh, what a weekend but of course since then um i mean i don't think i need to fill anybody in on what adele's done since 
25 came out, broke all kinds of sale records, including the U.S. one week's record. I'm filling everybody in, I guess. A new number one with Hello, another nice trifecta of album record song of the year. We're still waiting on album four at this point. It'll be four years next year, next November, since 25 came out. So it feels like Adele should be, you know, slowly waking up from her hibernation and about to uh, blow these girls out of the water once again. Number one album of 2011. Number one album of 2012. Nothing had ever done that before. Even this year, 2018, it's it's on the year-end list of the top 200 albums. It's number 179, but still on the list seven years later. That's the power of Adele. And yeah, I mean, all with the song that really did not fit into anyone's contemporary mold. Just like the song of 2012. And this really, what an outlier. Somebody that I used to know, Gautier featuring Kimbra. It's almost one of those songs that you, because Gautier has really vanished from, from the map ever since then, you almost kind of forget like just how massive that song was. That Gautier, like, oh, yeah, like six years ago, this song was inescapable. Um, Gautier, you know, out of the Australian New Zealand realm, just with Kimbra, an Australian artist as well. They just made this, you know, just this this track. And it just really blew up semi-organically. There's not really a linchpin like an idol, like a viral video nowadays or anything that, that blew it up. Just really a great track. Very different with the xylophone sounds that, that characterize it. Um, I mean, even the video is kind of, you know, very artistic and, and not necessarily commercial friendly, but just one of those songs that, you know, at its core, which in a in a world where everything feels like it's marketed and planned and viral and, you know, down to the nitty gritty, a good song can still be a big, big hit. And probably the biggest accolade song got record of the year at the Grammys. And more important than that, when Prince was announcing it, he said, he loves this song. Yeah. So, I mean, what better praise than Prince up there at the Grammys telling the world that he loves your song? You know, keep the trophy. That's that's all I need. Yeah, for someone as quiet as Prince, too, to, to get that from someone who never really talked that much in yeah. public anyway. And, and certainly not about other people's uh, music and things like that. Yeah, 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 big, big, big. All right, jumping ahead to 2013, we got Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Wands. This, to me, one of those songs that I was in college for that. And that is the right era to be in when this song comes out. Because obviously we were broke. We were yeah. all thrifting. We were all just, you know, it, it was a kind of a... It, it's a it's a funny song because it kind of strikes a balance between parody and sort of, in a weird way, social commentary kind of a little bit about yeah. just, you know, this sort of plight of these like misbegotten kind of, you know, middle classy kind of kids who... You know, we're talking this is in the throes of post-recession, so not a lot of money coming through. And and really one of those songs that came out of left field, if nothing else, because of who was making it. I mean, we had not seen a white rapper on this level since Eminem. And even though Eminem was talking about things that were much more, you know, contemporary in that rap game, it was, you know, it was more violent, it was more spitting bars it was more about talent thrift shop just just a fun song really yeah. in a lot of ways it doesn't take itself too seriously it felt like we hadn't we heard like that in, in rap for for a long maybe like you know, some of the 80s rap you know young mc there was like that goofy rap but yeah, it's a novelty like, kind of yeah, rap it yeah. didn't really connect for a long time uh, i think thrift shop was uh, one of the few examples where it did work again yeah and just coming really out of out of a corner of seattle and macklemore independent at the time gets some help from warner but it doesn't seem like it's a full-out sort of warner project and, you know, people just like his, his fun, his, his flow. 
and the Vaughns too. He was in his fifties. He'd been in the Seattle rap scene for a long time. Suddenly he has the number one song of the year. Again, just goes to show never give up. Yeah. And of course, big year for Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Uh, so much coming their way, including another number one with Can't Hold Us, kind of more of a party, get down song. That's a number one right after Thrift Shop. Same Love, very important that year. Um, you know, uh, this is, I guess now it's kind of easy to tie them together because they're only two years apart. But this coming out, you know, before the decision for legalizing gay marriage across the country, right. very big stand, you know, something that a lot of people, especially in the hip hop community, were not game to support openly and go after. And so for Macklemore to do that, huge props to him. And uh, also rewarded very nicely with some Grammy Awards. Still a little controversial, beating out Kendrick Lamar in his freshman season as well. But uh, we'll let the Grammys, the Grammys have spoken. So we'll, uh, I guess we'll we'll have to honor their decision, but yeah, but Macklemore kind of in this weird space now, where kind of like I guess with the Iggy Azaleas of the world, it's 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 a weird question of of how white rappers fit into the community when it feels like, of course, so many charges of appropriation and and not really knowing your 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 ancestors and where where hip hop came from and the genesis of it. Be interesting to see if he's able to uh, recover his career kind of in that same vein, or or if this will be really the snapshot that will have to define the success. You know, we were talking about Kesha before. He did have a big, uh, oh, it was a comeback hit in the last year, but uh, good old days with Kesha. Somewhat of a top 40 hit. Really found a second life at adult top 40 radio in the last year, but uh, it feels like in some ways his biggest hit since that start in 2013. Well, and also, uh, you know, Glorious with Skylar Gray, so it seems yeah. like he may be going sort of in that just, just kind of pop rap direction and not really trying to be, you know, quote-unquote hip-hop anymore, so... Uh, maybe there's a future for that, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we're only five years out, so the jury's still out by by all means. But curious where where his career will end up in the grand scheme of things. All right, we are inching closer. After 2013 comes 2014, and the number one song of that year is "Happy" by Pharrell Williams. So you want to talk about a hip hop OG? Uh, again, one of those things that. It's so funny when we look back at Pharrell's career, everything he's done with the Neptunes, with Jay-Z, all his production work. It's a song, an R&B song out of Despicable Me that becomes this kind of sleeper hit. It had been around for a while, really got a nice boost after um, performance at the Academy Awards. And, of course, the, the animated movies have always been a great way to get hits out just because they're such good box office draws that... The kids see them. They love the songs. The parents see them. They they forced to play these songs in their cars, and so happy. Really, you know, capitalizing on so much of that. Ten weeks at number one throughout 2014. Gets for an Oscar nomination. Actually, wins a pop category Grammy for it as well. And just one of those things that you can never really, never really see it coming. But it's one of those songs that I think was just so agreeable. Everybody could kind of bounce to it. Didn't matter what age you were. Didn't matter, yeah. you know, what demographic. If you're familiar with Pharrell or not, just one of those sweet spot songs that got everybody. The best thing Pharrell has ever done. Discovered Maggie Rogers. Gary, what? <laughs> that ain't got nothing to do with Happy. That's, that's right. when I think of Pharrell now. Uh, he, when I think of Pharrell, I think not of the outstanding production, not of all the number ones he gave us. I think of. That time he went to NYU yeah, it, it, and, it, it, and cried. students and uh, this girl, uh, Maggie Rogers, came up, played a new song. He was so floored by it. And, uh, cute moment even at the end where she walks away and, and he says, what's your name again? After they'd been talking for a minute, she said, I'm Maggie. And uh, she was just at Women in Music. 
a couple weeks ago and uh, almost uh, possibly getting towards number one on the Adult Alternative Songs chart. I'm going to bring it back to Pharrell, though, because I think there's something kind of hidden in that that I think is really important. Is a lot of people think that because Pharrell is so much of a hip-hop pop producer, that's what he would know. That's what he would focus on. I don't think a lot of people would expect Pharrell to be moved by a Maggie Rogers type of song yeah. or even sort of pay attention to it. And so I think that just goes to show his genius in a lot of ways at understanding just music in itself. Because... I mean, if you if you just said, "Oh yeah, Pharrell discovered Maggie Rogers," quote unquote, you wouldn't be able to sort of put that. Maybe you kind of like wait that they like they they may never work together, they may never be in the same field, genre, you know, lineup. But for Pharrell to to acknowledge that and and realize that and and know it, that just goes to show that Pharrell is a true bona fide musician any way you cut it yeah and nyu filmed that the video is is on youtube and just, just to see his reaction it, it's so genuine he's he, his his eyes just get all wide and he's, he's wow this this is really amazing speaking of amazing it's amazing that we've only got four more songs left we are entering the final piece of this countdown we've enjoyed uh counting down all the way from 1958 through with you guys 60 years of Hot 100 number one hits, we've seen everybody from the Beatles. We've gone all the way through Olivia Newton-John, artists like Chicago, who we talked to last week. We've jumped ahead to Whitney, to 50 Cent. Now, we're going to end with our final four. Here we go. 2015 to 2018, the top Hot 100 songs of each year. And they are... I 
finesse down Western Road. Hey, next. Might go down to God. It kind of feels weird to, to be flashing back when we uh, talk about these artists because they're all they're all incredibly current still. Uh, the number one songs of 2015 to 2018 on the Billboard Hot 100, going back, uh, starting that one at 2015. Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars and Uptown Funk, 14 weeks at number one. Bruno Mars' biggest hit eh, just jumped on a feature. Never mind his own albums, his biggest hit. Just helping out Mark Ronson, 14 weeks of number one. But another side of Bruno we had not seen up until that point. You know, he's kind of more middle of the road pop, you know, pretty safe. Locked Out of Heaven was probably the most flavorful thing he'd kind of done. And, and Lazy Song had some reggae hits to it. And Treasure had some, some thing, but nothing to this level like yeah. Uptown Funk. Yeah. Mark Ronson just on Saturday Night Live with Miley Cyrus last weekend. Uh, their new song, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Really, uh, uh, talk about songs that could be big for 2019. It's uh, starting to do really well on Top 40 radio. So uh, it's his biggest hit since Uptown Funkies. Mark Ronson's been uh, fairly quiet uh, since then. But uh, yeah, it could be, could be a hit for 2019. Well, also, uh, Ronson on the award circuit radar, he's a co-writer of the song Shallow with Lady Gaga right. and Bradley Cooper. So... Um, even though it's not obviously a performer on the track, could be scooping up some big Grammys, maybe an Oscar in the weeks to come. And uh, also a really nice new cover that uh, Mark Ronson and Miley both did of John Lennon's Happy Christmas. Did that on Saturday Night Live. It's out as a single. Could, could uh, see something on the charts next week. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over And a new one just begun All right, Moving ahead to 2016, the year so this is Christmas. Justin Bieber, Love Yourself, number one So uh, yeah, hadn't had a hit really on a big level in a couple of years at that point And was really known at that point uh, for having some yeah, public missteps uh, Throwing eggs at his neighbor's house uh, urinating more, in buckets yeah, at clubs and uh, uh, duis and uh, more serious uh, stuff like that but uh then uh, sort of quietly skrillex and diplo had him on where are you now and kind of became a surprise hit and it was that sound that led to the purpose album with what do you mean uh, then sorry was number one and sorry knocked out by love yourself so all of a sudden uh what an amazing comeback Justin Bieber had. His first three number ones, uh, such a huge album. Uh, it's that Trop House sound that really brought him back and really became uh, the dominant sound for a couple of years. So not just his own success, he kind of rewrote what pop was in 2016, 2017. And then uh, no new album, but a song called Despacito last year. He was on that, helped make that uh, as big as it was, 16 weeks, at record tying number one on the Hot 100. Very much not a Trop House record. Uh, so uh, then he was on some other singles, too. He just uh, kind of seemed like every song had Justin Bieber on it, but uh, kind of hit that point, uh, maybe of oversaturation. Yeah, I mean, uh, Let Me Love You, major hit, Cold Water as well. I think once Friends kind of, you know, underperformed, I think they kind of, you know, let's... Okay, maybe we need to give Beeps a break. Yeah, so eh, he got married. Oh, yeah. yeah I was going to say that the newly married Justin Bieber and, and Haley Bieber. But uh, yeah, it's been three years now since his own album, so I don't know when that's coming, but he's, he's a, it'll be really interesting to see what is the next chapter for him musically at this point. So uh, tying 2016 to 2017, uh, one of the co-writers of Love Yourself was Ed Sheeran. And then 2017, number one song of the year is Ed Sheeran's own Shape of You. And that made him the only artist ever to write a year-end Hot 100 number one. 
in back-to-back years. So it took uh, 58 and 59 years for that to happen. Uh, Ed Sheeran writing the number one song of 16 and 17, uh, 12 weeks at number one for Shape of You, uh, first of two number ones so far, perfect, following that up uh, later in the year and into early this year. Uh, again, though, uh, Despacito had 16 weeks at number one last year. Shape of You had only 12. Shape of You winds up on top, uh, partly the reason, 33 weeks in the top 10. That's a record. So no song has spent more time in the Hot 100's top 10 ever than Shape of You, 33 weeks. Uh, new music from Ed Sheeran, too. Uh, we don't know when that's coming. It's now uh, been about a couple years since his uh, last album came out. We had heard uh, at one point it may be kind of a kind of a left turn, really more acoustic stuff, not necessarily a, a play for commercial success. We'll see if that happens. And funny you mention his... Uh number one streak in 16 and 17, at least writing the number one songs of the year, came dangerously close to yeah. making it a, a hat trick this year. Yep, uh, perfect. We mentioned uh, number two, not number one, for uh, 2018 because everything was Drake in 2018. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it would have just felt incorrect if Drake had not ended at number one. Yeah, so God's plan. Uh, you could say that uh, this is just because of the success he had. Does it even feel like God's Plan is the uh, pop culture number one? T- to me, it kind of feels like In My Feelings might have been the song that kind of represents it more. Or is that just me because I'm more of a pop person? Um, I think that, that probably could, could play into it. I mean, In My Feelings is the more recent hit, so I guess it feels like the last big Drake saturation. I mean, God's Plan obviously had the head start with being out so early in the year. The quote, I love my bed and my mama, I'm sorry, was a massive one. I personally would think Nice For What is kind of the more representative hit of 2018 yeah. with, with the bounce sound, with the Lauryn Hill sample. That almost feels forgotten to me at this point. In between them, it's eight-week number one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess it's a nice problem when your eight-week number one is your third biggest hit of the year. But um, God's plan is just, I think it's just, just agreeable in a way that is just, it, 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 it's... I don't know. It's, there's something about it. It's just nice and short. It's got some lyrics that I think everyone can kind of relate to. It's like a low-key like club banger. I mean, we all kind of want to believe we got some haters, so it's fun to sing along with. Yeah. And even though it doesn't really have a hook, as a lot of people are saying, the 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 the, the wishing, wishing, wishing on me part, like just the little slur about it. It's just it's just fun, and I think it's I, I don't know. It's just one of those songs that. Yeah, it doesn't scream out, hey, I'm a huge favorite, play me, play me, play me. But if it comes to my playlist, I never skip it. I'm never like, oh, I don't, this is not the time I want to hear God's plan. Yeah. Uh, we, we had Matt Sheeran, a brother of Ed Sheeran, on the podcast earlier this year. It was, it was either the day or it was definitely the week that God's plan had just come out. And he was listening to it on his phone. He was saying how, you know, uh, he was noticing the music that, that, uh, organ keyboard sound at the beginning he, he really thought it was kind of musical for a song that's fairly monotone uh, he was noticing the music in it so there's uh, really something for everyone in that song uh so the records for drake uh, 2018 on the hot 100 uh, 13 top 10s in one year that's a new record beating the beatles uh, he's now up to 33 career top 10s most among solo males only madonna with 38 the Beatles with 34 have more. Uh, 29 weeks at number one in 2018. That's a record passing Usher with 28 in 2004. Uh, record seven weeks in the top 10 of the Hot 100 at once. Uh, the week that Scorpion debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, record 27 songs on the entire chart that week. Uh, it's also, uh, it doesn't have all the records yet, but it looks like he's close to another one. Uh, most overall Hot 100 hits all time is up to 192. Needs 15 to tie the Glee cast. 16 to break the record. Feels like he could do that tomorrow if he just 
released a new mixtape out of nowhere that I'll try. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. ooh that Drizzy raid will not let up. So th- there's something for 2019. I don't know if he's got another uh, album in him again this quickly, but it feels like it's just a matter of time until that one happens. Uh, but yeah, top artist of the year for the first time overall uh, for Billboard this year and God's Plan number one on the Hot 100 for 2018. And there you have it. Finished? Nin- yeah, 1958 wow. all the way to 2018. 60 years. Uh, we've enjoyed flashing back with you guys. Hopefully um, you learned more than just a thing or two. But really, I think Gary and I had to learn a lot researching some of these songs, especially some of the older classics. So this has been fun. You know, it, it's been a nice way to, to book in the first six decades of the Hot 100. And we only go forward from here. All right. We've got uh, one more episode uh, for this year uh, coming next week. Uh, we're going to do what we sort of started to call the, the Fishbowl Podcast. Uh, yeah, I guess you could you could so call al- it that. Our alternate name. We'll have uh, our friend Andrew Unterberger from Billboard's edit department here. We will be looking back at all of our favorite topics and questions of 2018 in music, trying to wrap up, just get a sense of uh, some of the biggest hit makers of the year, some of the biggest challenges some artists face this year, who overperformed, who may have underperformed, and what to look forward to in 2019. So stay tuned for all of that and more coming your way next week. guess I should explain why the fishbowl plays it. Oh, I mean, I feel like it's almost... Is that obvious? Ex- I, maybe, but if, if you don't know what it is, this is the uh, the definition for you. Uh, we have a fishbowl on the table. And we put topics in it. We pull them out, and uh, we just uh, go yeah. by topics. Yeah, we go fishing for topics. Yeah. So uh, that will be the focus of next week's podcast. We were also going to invite somebody who knows all about year-end trends on. We're going to have our friend DJ Earworm here. As you guys, I'm sure, are very well aware, he does the United State of Pop every year, mashing up the top 25 songs of each year into a a four-minute mashup. And again, if you haven't heard them, who are you? But if you have, you know the things he can just pull out, the the commonalities in in time and tempo about songs that you never thought had any kind of relationship with each other. We'll be talking all about the creation of that and how he goes into his work creating the songs, putting them together. Does he ever get stuck? Does he feel the pressure of having to outdo each of his hits every year? So we'll be talking all about those things in 2018's mashup with them next week. So a lot to look forward to as we wrap our year up in style. I feel like we could stump him if we asked him to do a mashup of this podcast. It's way too much to go through. <laughs> yeah, if you, could, if you could mix and match some of these lines, I mean, you've got an hour's worth of material at least yeah. so uh that's probably yeah the bigger the bigger task at hand for sure uh, we're talking about mark ronson before new music we played a little clip of a happy christmas uh, let's play the song that's becoming a hit and again looking forward to into 2019 the song that really uh, could be a big hit it's mark ronson and miley cyrus with nothing breaks like a heart on the billboard choppy podcast well, this broken silence my thunder crashing in the dark
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs> 